I don't know who needs to hear this, but we have just quietly released the first episode of our long-awaited audiobook adaption of Jane Austen's Persuasion. We've submitted it to all the usual streaming platforms, so go and search for it where you listen to podcasts to see it, to see it, to find it, to listen to it. I think that's the point. Podcasts, you don't use your eyes, you use your ears. Anyway, it's going to be available there soon, so you should go and find it um, and see if it's available yet. For more info about the podcast, visit our website, which is www.bnt.org.au. Chapter 4 When Jane and Elizabeth were alone, the former, who had been cautious in her praise of Mr Bingley before, expressed to her sister just how very much she admired him. Mm, He is just what a young man ought to be. He's sensible, good-humoured, lively. And I never saw such happy manners. There's so much ease with such perfect good breeding. He is also handsome, Mm. which a young man ought likewise to be, if he possibly can. (laughs) His character is thereby complete. I was very much flattered by his asking me to dance a second time. I did not expect such a compliment. (laughs) Did not you? I did for you. But that is one great difference between us. Compliments always take you by surprise. And me? Never. (laughs) What could be more natural than his asking you again? He could not help seeing that you are about five times as pretty as every other woman in the room. (laughs) No thanks to his gallantry for that. Well, he certainly is very agreeable, and I give you leave to like him. You have liked many a stupider person. (laughs) Dear Lizzie. Oh, you are a great deal too apt, you know, to like people in general. You never see fault in anybody. All the world are good and agreeable in your eyes. I never heard you speak ill of a human being in your life. I would not wish to be too hasty in censuring anyone. But... I always speak what I think. Oh, Jane, I know you do. And it is that which makes the wonder, with your good sense, to be so honestly blind to the follies and nonsense of others. Affection of candour is common enough. One meets with it everywhere. But to be candid without ostentation or design, to take the good of everybody's character and make it better still, and to say nothing of the bad... That belongs to you alone. And so, you like this man's sisters too, do you? Their manners are not equal to his. Certainly not at first. But they are very pleasing women when you converse with them. Miss Bingley is to live with her brother and keep his house. And I am much mistaken if we shall not find a very charming neighbour in her. Elizabeth listened in silence, but was not convinced. Their behaviour at the assembly had not been calculated to please in general, and with more quickness of observation and less pliancy of temper than her sister, and with a judgment too unassailed by any attention to herself, she was very little disposed to approve of them. They were, in fact, very fine ladies, not deficient in good humour when they were pleased, nor in the power of making themselves agreeable when they chose it, but proud and conceited. They were rather handsome, had been educated in one of the first private seminaries in town, had a fortune of £20,000, were in the habit of spending more than they ought, and of associating with people of rank, and were therefore, in every respect, 
entitled to think well of themselves, and meanly of others. They were of a respectable family in the north of England, a circumstance more deeply impressed on their memories than that their brother's fortune and their own had been acquired by trade. Mr Bingley inherited property to the amount of nearly £100,000 from his father, who had intended to purchase an estate, but did not live to do it. Mr Bingley intended it likewise, and sometimes made choice of his country. But, as he was now provided with a good house and the liberty of a manor, it was doubtful to many of those who best knew the easiness of his temper whether he might not spend the remainder of his days at Netherfield and leave the next generation to purchase. His sisters were anxious for his having an estate of his own, but, though he was now only established as a tenant, Miss Bingley was by no means unwilling to preside at his table, nor was Mrs Hurst, who had married a man of more fashion than fortune, less disposed to consider his house as her home when it suited her. Mr Bingley had not been of age two years when he was tempted by an accidental recommendation to look at Netherfield House. He did look at it, and into it for half an hour, was pleased with the situation and the principal rooms, satisfied with what the owner said in its praise, and took it immediately. Between him and Darcy there was a very steady friendship, in spite of great opposition of character. Bingley was endeared to Darcy by the easiness, openness and ducility of his temper, though no disposition could offer a greater contrast to his own, and though with his own he never appeared dissatisfied. On the strength of Darcy's regard, Bingley had the firmest reliance, and of his judgment the highest opinion. In understanding, Darcy was the superior. Bingley was by no means deficient, but Darcy was clever. He was at the same time haughty, reserved and fastidious, and his manners, though well-bred, were not inviting. In that respect, his friend had greatly the advantage. Bingley was sure of being liked wherever he appeared. Darcy was continually giving offence. The manner in which they spoke of the Meryton Assembly was sufficiently characteristic. Bingley had never met with more pleasant people or prettier girls in his life. Everybody had been most kind and attentive to him. There had been no formality, no stiffness. He soon felt acquainted with all the room. And, as to Miss Bennet, he could not conceive an angel more beautiful. Darcy, on the contrary, had seen a collection of people in whom there was little beauty and no fashion, for none of whom he had felt the slightest interest, and from none received either pleasure or attention. Miss Bennet he acknowledged to be pretty, but she smiled too much. Mrs Hurst and her sister allowed it to be so, but they still admired her and liked her, and pronounced her to be a sweet girl, and one whom they would not object to know more of. Miss Bennet was therefore established as a sweet girl, and their brother felt authorised by such commendation to think of her as he chose. Chapter 5 Within a short walk of Longbourn lived a family with whom the Bennets were particularly intimate. Sir William Lucas had been formerly in trade in Meryton, where he had made a tolerable fortune, and risen to the honour of knighthood, 
by an address to the king during his mayoralty. The distinction had, perhaps, been felt too strongly. It gave him a disgust to his business, and to his residence in a small market town, and in quitting them both, he had removed his family to a house about a mile from Meryton, denominated from that period Lucas Lodge, where he could think with pleasure of his own importance, and, unshackled by business, occupy himself solely in being civil to all the world. For, though elevated by his rank, it did not render him supercilious. On the contrary, he was all attention to everybody. By nature inoffensive, friendly and obliging, his presentation at St James's had made him courteous. Lady Lucas was a very good kind of woman, not too clever to be a valuable neighbour to Mrs Bennet. They had several children, the eldest of them, a sensible, intelligent young woman, about twenty-seven, was Elizabeth's intimate friend. That the Lucases and the Miss Bennets should meet to talk over a ball was absolutely necessary, and the morning after the assembly brought the former to Longbourn to hear and to communicate. You began the evening well, Charlotte, Mrs Bennet commented with civil self-command to Miss Lucas. You were Mr Bingley's first choice. <laughs> yes. Gosh, he seemed to like his second better. Oh, you mean Jane, I suppose? Because he danced with her twice? To be sure, that did seem as if he admired her. Indeed, I rather believe he did. Oh, I heard something about it, but I hardly know what. <laughs> something about Mr Robinson? Oh, Perhaps you mean what I overheard between him and Mr. Robinson. Did not I mention it to you? Mr. Robinson's asking him how he liked our Meryton assemblies and whether he did not think there were a great many pretty women in the room and which he thought the prettiest. And he's answering immediately to the last question. Oh, the eldest Miss Bennet, without a doubt. There cannot be two opinions on that point. Upon my word. Well, that is very decided indeed. That does seem as if... But, however, it may all come to nothing, you know. My overhearings were more to the purpose than yours, Eliza. Mr Darcy is not so well worth listening to as his friend, is he? Poor Eliza, to be only just... Tolerable. <laughs> I beg you would not put it into Lizzie's head to be vexed by his ill treatment. Oh, for he is such a disagreeable man that it would be quite a misfortune to be liked by him. Oh, Mrs. Long told me last night that he sat close to her for half an hour without once opening his lips. Oh. Are you quite sure, ma'am? Is there not a little mistake? I certainly saw Mr Darcy speaking to her. Aye, because she asked him at last how he liked Netherfield and he could not help answering her, but she said he seemed quite angry at being spoke to. Miss Bingley told me that he never speaks much, unless among his intimate acquaintances. With them, he's remarkably agreeable. I do not believe a word of it, my dear. If he had been so very agreeable, he would have talked 
to Mrs Long. But I can guess how it was. Everybody says that he is eat up with pride. And I dare say he had heard somehow that Mrs Long does not keep a carriage and had come to the ball in a hack chaise. I do not mind he's not talking to Mrs Long, but I wish he had danced with Eliza. Another time, Lizzie. I would not dance with him if I were you. I believe, ma'am, I may safely promise you never to dance with him. His pride does not offend me so much as pride often does, because there is an excuse for it. One cannot wonder that so very fine a young man with family, fortune, everything in his favour should think highly of himself. <laughs> if I may so express it, he has a right to be proud. That is very true. And I could easily forgive his pride if he had not mortified mine. Pride is a very common failing, I believe. By all that I have ever read, I am convinced that it is very common indeed that human nature is particularly prone to it and that there are very few of us who do not cherish a feeling of self-complacency on the score of some quality or other, real or imaginary. Suddenly, the conversation was interrupted with an interjection from Charlotte and Mariah's younger sister, who boldly gave her decided opinion. If I were as rich as Mr Darcy, I should not care how proud I was. I would keep a pack of foxhounds and drink a bottle of wine a day. Then you would drink a great deal more than you ought. And if I were to see you at it... I should take away your bottle directly. The young Lucas girl protested that she should not. Mrs Bennet continued to declare that she would. And the argument ended only with the visit. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of Ballarat National Theatre's adaptation of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. And we'll join us again next week for another episode. This production is directed by Liana Skews, narrated by Olivia French and adapted for audio by Elizabeth Bradford, Olivia French and Liana Skews. This episode features the voices of Elizabeth Hardiman as Mrs Bennet, Olivia French as Elizabeth Bennet, Liana Skews as Jane Bennet, Ebony McLean as Charlotte Lucas and Pippa Assome as the young Lucas sibling. This podcast was produced by Ballarat National Theatre on the lands of our traditional custodians, the Wathaurong people. Cast recordings were made in the lands of both the Wathaurong and the Boon Wurrung people. Ballarat National Theatre acknowledges and pays respect to our traditional custodians and to their past, present and emerging leaders. Mm-hmm.